You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director in Long-Term Care. How different is the population of long-term care facilities today than in decades past? And how will these new resident communities impact delivery of care? Joining us to discuss Not Your Grandma's Nursing Home, Changing Demographics in Long-Term Care is Dr. Alan Lazaroff, Director of Geriatric Medicine at St. Anthony's Hospital Senior Health Centers and President of Geriatric Medicine Associates in Denver, Colorado. Alan, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Eric. Well, we're going to talk about the evolution of uh, long-term care, especially skilled care facilities. So let's start with the facility's evolution in the past few decades. I mean, like the flexible residence schedules, the activities, the whole universe. I think that there have been major changes in what uh, long-term care facilities do and what they look like. And really, there are two somewhat separate threads of change that I see in this evolution. The first is the use of nursing homes as places for people to go and convalesce for short stays after a hospital discharge. At one time, for example, if you had a broken hip, you would be admitted to the hospital, have your surgery, stay in the hospital for uh, sometimes 10 days, 14 days. I'm old enough to remember those days and to go right home from there. But this rarely happens today. Nowadays, patients will have their surgery and a day or so later oftentimes will be moved to a skilled nursing facility, which now has to help that person go through the process of recuperating from their injury and their surgery. Now the nursing facilities will have a population of people with a length of stay that's measured in weeks instead of years, as you see in in the long-stay nursing population. So this is, I think, a role that has greatly expanded for nursing homes. There are many patients that historically would have been cared for in hospital beds that are now receiving their care in nursing facilities. And this has required changes in the nursing facilities to build up the capability of delivering this care and getting good outcomes. Let's stay with the short-term patient for a while. Let's explore that a little bit more. I mean, almost every one of us that has a nursing home practice has noticed that those changes have occurred, that we're taking more convalescent patients, short-term stay patients. A lot of it has to do with the financial incentives. That's correct. I suppose you could trace this development to the initiation of DRGs in the early 80s, and uh, that's where this began. It's really a part of efforts to contain costs by moving people to a lower-cost facility when the care that they need can be delivered there instead of an acute hospital. So the care that is delivered in hospitals has become more and more technological, more and more expensive, uh, shorter lengths of stay, and people are now moving out to these skilled nursing facilities to receive rehab services such as PT, OT, nursing care as a transitional step between their uh, acute illness or injury and returning home. Well, there's a higher expectation as well with regards to the therapy and the return to home. And I'm sure that St. Anthony's hospitals have to compete in this environment as well. Share with us some of the things that your senior health programs are doing with regards to the therapy to move patients along? It's a very complex issue for us. At one time, we had our own hospital-based 
skilled nursing facility, or uh, they called it a transitional care unit, and we staffed uh, the unit. We're a primary care facility uh, for the most part for seniors, but when patients were hospitalized, having moved to the hospitalist model here, once people left the hospital and went into the skilled nursing facility that was hospital-based, we could repatriate the patient and correct what, in our judgment, were some unwise medication decisions and so on before the patient went home. Once again, for financial reasons, the hospital closed the hospital-based skilled nursing facility, which is consistent with the national trend. And now we struggle, really, to be honest, to make sure that we maintain some type of continuity with the other physicians who are taking care of our patients for this short term. So here's another set of transitions that we need to work on, the transition from hospital to skilled nursing facility, the transition from skilled nursing facility to home. There's a whole new set of challenges in terms of maintaining that communication, getting the patient back to the primary care doctor, getting the right information to the doctor in the SNF. This is a downside of this move in our opinion is that we have to deal with an increasing level of fragmentation of the care compared to the past. But we are uh, working on that and working hard on the communication strategies in those transitions in order to make sure that patients successfully get back to their homes. This is an issue that all of our listeners have had, and we spent a lot of time talking about the transitions. Do any of your hospitalists follow your patients into the skilled facility, or is it a complete handoff? It's a complete uh, separate group of people. In fact, we had to, this is no longer a problem, but when this started, we had to struggle to get our hospital even to tell us which skilled nursing facility the patient was going to and who the doctor was. But by trying to explain the importance of us knowing where our people are and so on, we were able to get that changed and to improve the cooperation with our hospital. In my practice life, I've gone from a situation where I was a primary care doctor for seniors the patient went in the hospital. I was the doctor that would take care of them in the hospital. If the patient went to a skilled nursing facility, I was the doctor who took care of the patient in the skilled nursing facility. And if the patient went into long-term care, most of the time, I was the doctor that took care of the patient in the long-term care setting. And all of that has changed. Our issue is that we had to let go of all of the work except for the work in the office if we hope to keep the office running because of uh, financial pressures. So the work has been divided, and uh, you have people that are more geographically situated and work in a geography instead of following the patient. And I think this is change that's occurred over the last 15 years or so. Especially for the frail elderly, there are some undesirable consequences that have to be mitigated because of this fragmentation. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangelos, and joining me to discuss Not Your Grandma's Nursing Home, Changing Demographics in Long-Term Care is Dr. Alan Lazaroff, Director of Geriatric Medicine at St. Anthony's Hospital's Senior Health Centers and President of Geriatric Medicine Associates in Denver, Colorado. We've been talking about uh, some of the logistics of care and some of the changing demographics. Alan, let's pursue some more of the demographics. We've talked about the short-term patient. We can talk about the long-term patient, but the patient in general is really changing as well. What's happened is that you can look at this in a couple of ways. Nursing homes now house for short, relatively short periods 
people who used to be cared for in the hospital, so they have a sicker, more complex, more dynamic patient to deal with. And uh, at the same time, with the growth of the assisted living industry and so on, many patients who in the past might have resided in a nursing home are now in assisted living, leaving a population for the nursing home of more and more complex, sick, cognitively impaired patients. The nursing homes face a dual challenge. They have to improve their medical capabilities to deal with the short-term population at the same time that they're trying to make their facilities more home-like, less regimented, trying to give patients more opportunities for individualization of how they live, when they eat, et cetera, et cetera. Serving those two populations with rather different needs has to be a considerable challenge for folks that are operating nursing facilities. Well, will the new health care laws impact the changes as well? Will they accelerate or force us in one direction or another? I think there's a potential for the new law to help us to solve some of the problems that have occurred because of fragmentation. Right now, what has happened in my judgment is that hospitals have looked at a patient as though the life began on the day of admission and ended on the day of discharge and really did not, at least in our community, did not track what happened to the patient after they left the hospital and had no financial reason to worry about that. As we go into a healthcare system where there's more accountability for the outcome and more accountability for the overall costs, this should promote better collaboration between primary care doctors, specialists, hospitals, nursing facilities, home health agencies. All of a sudden, everyone has a stake in the overall outcome of the patient, and I think that will foster better cooperation. You know, it's a matter in part of aligning the financial incentives so that you're not penalized anymore for doing the right thing, which is unfortunately sometimes the case. You know, you and I come from similar training backgrounds, so when we talk about an episode of care, it's from the very first visit until the very last visit that oftentimes results in death. But that whole concept of episode of care is what you've been hitting at here, and it's fun to see that debate open up as we consider a broader look at the patient. Absolutely. Also, the people that we're talking about have usually multiple chronic illnesses, and their management for their chronic illness goes on for their entire life oftentimes, and it's a longitudinal issue. And one of the problems that we have is that we have historically tried to chop everything up into little episodes and pay by episodes, such as office visits in in another setting, when in fact the care goes on all the time and much of the care has to be done over the telephone or through a nurse that's visiting the patient or there's all sorts of work that happens that's not captured in an office visit that you might do for somebody that has an acute problem, you know, a sore throat or something like this. The whole structure of our healthcare system has not really been suited to the nature of the needs of the people that we're caring for, at least in terms of the elderly. And I think that the healthcare reform efforts have at least the potential to improve that situation. Although, uh, you know, the implementation of this is going to be very difficult. Whether we are successful or not is not a foregone conclusion. Well, most of our listeners are all professional. One way or another, they're involved with long-term care, we presume. The demographics we've talked about, the changing populations that are there. So go ahead and give us some ideas of what we see right now 
and what you think we might be seeing in 10 years in terms of the demographics, the common conditions, and where we need to prepare ourselves in our facilities. I think that the approach that seems to me to have the highest potential of success is if we can change our financial arrangements and our, the way we operate in order to deal with the patient in a more longitudinal way. Sometimes we see care today that doesn't seem to be informed by any kind of a long-range strategy of what we're trying to accomplish, and I think that we have a chance of that changing. To be a little more specific about the sort of thing that might happen, I can see the potential for let's an accountable care organization, whatever that might be, and that program would have the compensation or reimbursement and the financial responsibility for managing a particular person, let's say for a year, and thereby have to collaborate and figure out what are the most cost-effective and settings for this person, how can we get the best outcomes, how can we make the care more predictable, all of these challenges. And these can be dealt with, I think, more effectively by just changing the organizational arrangements and the payment system in the ways that the law anticipates. As a real-life example of this, I would cite the PACE program, which I've also been quite involved with, which has been a very successful program, is able to take patients who qualify for a nursing home under each state's regulatory framework, take those people, and these are people who want very much to continue to live in the community, allow the great majority of those people to live in the community, uh, achieve better patient satisfaction, achieve higher quality outcomes, even in some of the studies, increase the length of survival of the patients, and yet to do this all within the context of a fixed prepaid type of payment and be financially successful as a business in doing this. So the law will take some of those concepts, I think, and apply those to a broader population with appropriate modifications. And in doing that, I think we can be more successful both in helping patients to achieve a better quality of life, in starting to control the costs, and also in creating satisfying careers that will attract people into geriatric medicine, long-term care, and so on. Well, I would like to thank my guest, Dr. Alan Lazaroff. Alan, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. Thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, a channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.